Amen. Praise God for the voices of His people singing His praise. In fact, we join creation when we sing the praises of God. We're told there at the end of Psalm 65 that uh, even the hills and the grain and the mountains and the seas sing and rejoice at God their Creator. So thank you for singing as we worship the Lord together. As we think about Psalm 65, we think of a psalm about God as our perfect provider. We even think about God giving us abundant satisfaction. It's a phrase that's mentioned in verse 4 and verse 11 and hinted at in, in other verses of the psalm as well. But it may be that you're here today and you would say you haven't always felt abundant satisfaction in your relationship with God. It's interesting that Psalm 65 is a psalm that even praises God specifically for the fact that He answers prayer. Did you notice that? It comes up in verse 1 of Psalm 65, or excuse me, verse 2, O you who hear prayer... And it comes up again in verse 5 when we read that God, by His awesome deeds and righteousness, answers us, answers our prayer. So interestingly, Psalm 65 is about answered prayer and how we praise God for being a God who hears our prayer and who, who answers our prayer with abundant satisfaction. And yet, you may be wondering... Why is it that I don't always feel this abundant satisfaction? Have you ever prayed and not gotten what you asked for? Have you ever asked God for something that even from your perspective you know was very good, and yet it didn't come, and you felt dissatisfied? If I just had a little more money, or if only God would let me sleep through the night, maybe some of our young parents are saying. All I want is for this health problem to go away. Is that too much to ask? Why won't God give me victory over this sin? If only they would repent of their sin, then I'd be satisfied. It's easy to think in life that with just one more thing, we would be satisfied. If God would just give me this thing that I want, then I would know contentment and satisfaction. But that's what's so tricky and elusive about contentment. You see, when we get what we asked for, we tend to just want the next thing. Because contentment is not found in getting things Contentment is found in God, the perfect provider. Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 says this, Be content with such things as you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If God is with us, then we can be content. We actually don't need that one more thing. And if we needed it, the perfect provider would have given it. Psalm 65 reminds us to find our abundant satisfaction in God. And if you've found yourself dissatisfied, it's likely because you've sought contentment in something else. The thing you wanted, you hoped in something else. And Psalm 65 turns us to the God who answers our prayers perfectly. The God whose provision is perfect. And he reminds us to praise this God. 
And interestingly enough, it's as we turn to Him and praise Him that we do find our satisfaction. We do find our contentment, even if He didn't answer our prayers the way we wanted Him to. The title of the psalm gives us only a little information about Psalm 65. It says, to the chief musician, which we're familiar with, that phrase is meant for, for worship. It's a psalm of David. Again, we're familiar with that. Most of the psalms we studied this summer have been of David, and it is a song meant to be sung, as we did today, uh, set to a different tune than David would have set it to, but we were able to sing it together and praise God with the words of Psalm 65. The only other thing we know about the context of the psalm is maybe a little hint in verse 3 where David says, iniquities prevail against me. David is suffering as the result of sin, and we don't know whether it's his sin or whether it's others' sin, but he has this feeling that iniquities have come over him and are prevailing in his life. And what he does as he praises God who gives abundant satisfaction. And so as we look through this psalm, we'll see that our God answers prayer perfectly. Notice verses 1 and 2 just by way of introduction. David says that praise is awaiting God in Zion. The word awaiting can actually just be translated silent. And it is used in Psalm 62 as well, where we're told there that David's soul waits silently for God. And it's almost this silent reverence before God, this stillness. It may even be expressing that the praise is waiting with bated breath for God's arrival. And then the praise, the celebration would just, would just burst forth. And so there's this pause right before the praise begins. Praise is awaiting God in Zion. Zion's a reference to Jerusalem, where the temple was located. The second phrase says, the vow will be performed to God. God is the one who deserves our worship. Vows were promises made in the Old Testament to God. In response to something God has done, a worshiper would often say, okay, Lord, I promise I'll give you uh, this much or a tenth of this or I'll do this for you. And so they would fulfill their vows in worship to God. God's the one to whom worship is given. And so then in verse 2, he's praised specifically that he hears prayer. And the word hear doesn't just mean to like hear a sound, but it means to respond, to take action, to do something. And so he's the God who hears and responds to prayer. He hears and answers. And so verse 2 concludes that all flesh will come to God. Does this all flesh mean just those who worship God, or does it literally mean all humans? And I think the answer is that it's all humans. We must acknowledge that God alone is the one who answers prayer. He alone is the one who hears the prayers of all flesh, whoever prays. God hears and He answers. It must be to God that all flesh will come. And so this psalm is a psalm of praise It's a psalm of prayer, but it's a psalm of abundant satisfaction. Did you notice that in verse 4? The one who dwells in the Lord's courts will be satisfied with the goodness of his house. Or in verse 11, that the Lord crowns the year with his goodness and his paths drip with abundance. God provides perfectly for our needs. 
So as we work through this psalm, we're going to ask this question, why does God deserve this praise? Why does he deserve this praise? And we'll see three sections. Each one highlights an attribute of God and something that he has done. And all together they remind us of this truth, that we must praise God who answers prayer with abundant satisfaction. Now that doesn't mean that he answers prayer with what we want, but he answers prayer with abundant satisfaction. God provides. He is the source of contentment and satisfaction, and we praise Him for being a God who hears and answers our prayers. So, in verses 1 and 2, David praises God for answering prayer. And in verse 3 and 4, we see the first reason that God deserves this praise, because by His grace, He provides atonement for sin. By His grace, God provides atonement for sin. Now, verse 3 opens with David feeling overwhelmed with iniquity, whether that's his own sin that keeps piling up or the sins of others that are affecting him. And certainly either one of those scenarios is extremely relatable. We understand. Maybe you have something persistent in your life You're struggling to conquer and you feel overwhelmed by your own sin. Or maybe someone else's sin is hurting you and causing pain in your life and you feel overwhelmed by their sin. It really doesn't matter which one David's referring to here because he draws it all together in the next phrase of verse 3. He says, as for our transgressions, you, God, will provide atonement for them. So whether it's my sin or your sin or their sin, God is the one who provides atonement for transgressions. The word atonement is a rich word. In David's context, it would have looked back to the day of atonements when the sins of the people were placed on an animal, sometimes referred to it as a scapegoat. That's where that idea comes from. And the sins were placed on that animal, and that animal was sent out of the camp. And it was the the sacrifice to God, the shedding of blood to pay for the sins of the people. Atonement means purging of sins, being made right with God. Cleansing and peace come from atonement. Or if it helps you remember it, you could think at-one-ment being made at one with God, at one mint. So David refers to this atonement as purging of sins, cleansing of sins, and shedding of blood to cover transgressions. Through atonement, a sinner could be right with God, and only God has provided the solution to our sin, sin that prevails against us, yet God has made a way of atonement. And so in verse 4, David rejoices in this atonement. He says, blessed is the man you choose. Happy is the one God has chosen to offer this atonement to. This is, of course, speaking of God's grace. You see, God does the giving. God does the choosing. It's His grace. He even causes this individual to approach him because atonement has been made. The sins have been washed away and so this sinful individual can approach a holy God 
And God made that happen because of his atonement. And so David says, blessed is that one who has had their sins atoned for. What else can this forgiven individual do? In verse 4, he may dwell in the Lord's courts. That signifies closeness with God. In the Old Testament, God's presence was in His temple. And so there was the Holy of Holies. There was the outer sanctuary. And then there were the courts around the temple. And so as you entered the temple, you were nearing the presence of God, drawing near to God. And so this man is blessed because his sins have been atoned for. He's been cleansed. He's right with God. Now he can approach God and be near to God there in the temple. And what does this individual experience in verse 4? We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. But did you notice that David moves from the singular individual who has been chosen for atonement and caused to draw near to God and to dwell in the courts? Now at the end of verse 4, he says, We, all who have experienced God's atonement, shall be satisfied with the goodness, the bounty of God's house, God's holy temple. What a rich description of what God has done through atonement. To cause a sinful people, iniquities prevailing over us, to be cleansed of their sin, to be right with God, to be drawn into His presence, into His holy place. To experience abundant satisfaction from nearness to God. This is what David rejoices in and praises God for His grace because He provides atonement from sin. Friends, satisfaction is found in being right with God and in drawing near to God. Carrie and I were out shopping last night for a birthday present and a few other things and Uh, We stopped in a few extra stores. We just happened to be in the mall. And so we stopped in a few extra stores to check the clearance racks, as is our custom. And uh, so we're enjoying the clearance racks and seeing if we can find any good deals. And I happened to overhear a conversation of somebody who walked into the store, immediately went to one of the store workers and said to them, do you have uh, another of this sweater in this size, this material, this color? Do you have another one? And uh, sort of began to catch my attention, and he began talking with the clerk, and she said, oh, no, I'm sorry, we, we don't carry that one in stock any longer. And he began to explain, well, I was eating some food, and I, I spilled some, something red. I didn't hear exactly what he said, but I, I saw the big splotch right here on his shirt, and it looked, like, looked to be a cashmere sweater of some sort, if I were to guess. And so he had stained it. It was white or cream-colored, and... Do you have another one like this? I, I've stained my shirts and I can't get it out. And oh, I'm so sorry. We don't have any more in stock like that. Let me show you a few things that might work for you. And so she began showing him some other items of clothing in the store and he wasn't satisfied with any of them. So finally she went behind the counter and found a stain stick. <laughs> and so she pulled out the stain stick and they began working on the stain there in the store. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty good customer service right there, right? I mean, she's like going to town on his stain, trying to help the guy out. I think he had a wedding rehearsal or something like that later in the evening. But this cream cashmere sweater, you know, who knows how much it cost, had been ruined by the stain and he couldn't get it out and couldn't even replace it. What an illustration of 
the stain of our sin in our lives, when iniquities prevail over us and there's nothing we can do to be rid of the stain of sin, God stepped in by His grace, provided the cleansing, atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so God, in His grace, has provided atonement through His Son. And so we praise God for answering our prayers. We can go to God with our sins because He alone can answer this prayer and cleanse us of our sin. So we praise Him for being a God who answers prayer with abundant satisfaction. You can't go anywhere else to have your sins atoned for. Only God cleanses our sin. And He answers that prayer with abundant satisfaction. Friend, maybe you're here today overwhelmed by iniquity. It's important for us to begin here, to understand that indeed our iniquity has overwhelmed us. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. They aren't just a few wrong things on a scale that hopefully don't outweigh our good works. No, no, no. Our sins stain us for eternity. And there's no righteousness before God if there's sin that has stained our robes. And so God in Christ offers us the exchange of robes. Not only does He pay for our sins, and our sins are transferred to the account of Christ, but He gives us new robes, robes of righteousness, the righteousness of God. So friend, if you would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you can have your sins washed away and experience God's atonement. If you have had that happen in your life, then friend, I encourage you to remember your state before His atonement. Be humbled by the fact that iniquity had prevailed over you. That it was only God to whom you could cry out for forgiveness. Sometimes we get so frustrated by the things that happen in our lives, the trials we face or the struggles we go through. And I I think... Often the reason we struggle so much with those things is that we've simply forgotten what we deserved. Whatever I face in this life is far better than what I deserved before God's atonement in my life. Whatever I go through in my existence on this earth, the conclusion of the matter is this, God has been kind to me. Because when sin stained my life, He offered me His Son as atonement. Do you know the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ today? And are you thankful? Are you rejoicing in what God has done for you? That you do not face an eternity of torment because of your sin. Instead, Jesus took that for you because He loves you. You can find atonement for sins today, but not only that, we can draw near to God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Because He rose again, Jesus Himself becomes our high priest. Hebrews 10, 19-22 puts it well. It says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. This is what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so even better than David describes in verse 4, where this worshiper is just in the outer courts, thankful that he can be that close to God and finding satisfaction in worship through Jesus, friend. We've been brought into the very holy of holies. In fact, God the Spirit dwells in us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so if David can say in verse 4, we experience abundant satisfaction in your courts, then how much more can you and I say that who have His Spirit in us? We can't be brought any closer than Christ has done through the cross. And so be satisfied, be thankful, and praise a God who has cleansed your sin and brought you near. This is where we find satisfaction. Psalm 63 instructed us well in this idea of drawing near to God and seeking Him and meditating on Him and experiencing the fact that His loving kindness is better than life and to just rejoice and meditate in the very character and person of God. And so David tells us again here in Psalm 65, this is where satisfaction comes. But not just by His grace do we experience atonement for sins, but also I want you to notice in this psalm that by His power, God does what is right. Not only does He answer our prayers with atonement, But he answers our prayer with power that always does what is right. And friends, this is far better than getting what we've asked for. We don't know what's right. I have the most limited view of this universe. (laughs) We even sent this James Webb Space Telescope out into space. Ten billion dollars for this thing. It's amazing. And it can't even see the edge of the universe. I mean, this is the best we can do, right? The God who sees it all answers our prayers with power that always does what is right. Notice how David describes this in verses 5 and following. He says in verse 5, By awesome deeds in righteousness you will answer us. God answers prayer by His awesome deeds. And those awesome deeds are always done in righteousness. You will answer us by awesome deeds in righteousness. This is how God answers prayer with power. Next, David calls God the God of our salvation. And this is either looking back to the atonement that he just mentioned in verses 3 and 4, or back to God's salvation through Israel's history, whether that's redeeming them out of Egypt or the many other times. That he was kind and gracious to them and saved them even when they were the ones sinning against him. So at the end of verse 5, he says, You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. That word confidence is the word hope, but it's a strong form of the word hope. So it's to say, God is the strong hope of all the earth. Just like atonement where God's the only one who can answer prayer with forgiveness of sins, so too God's the only one who can answer prayer with power in righteousness. God alone has that. And so David says, the ends of the earth, it doesn't matter where a person is praying, you're the only one to whom we look for hope. You're our confident hope because you have power, Lord, and you use that power in righteousness. 
Now, we can stop right there, but David goes on to describe in the following verses some evidences of God's power. And in verse 6, he describes the mountains, that by God's strength, he made the mountains. Recently, Carrie and I watched a documentary about uh, a Nepalese man who uh, tried to set a world record by climbing the 14 tallest mountains in the shortest period of time. These mountains are all over 8,000 meters, and I had to figure out what that was in feet. It's over 26,000 feet. There are 14 mountains that are taller than 26,000 feet. Just for reference, that's more than five miles tall. And so he wanted to set this record of climbing these 14 mountains in the shortest amount of time. The previous record was 16 years that it took to climb all 14 of these mountains between planning and prepping and preparing and all of this. Uh, And so this was the previous record. He wanted to beat it. We come to the end of the documentary and he's been able to do it in seven months. Quite impressive. Now, Purists will claim that uh, he didn't actually accomplish it because he used oxygen at the higher altitudes of the mountain, which um, is pretty much necessary to not die. Uh, But the guy who did it in 16 years did it without oxygen, and so that's, you know, the big debate, uh, you know, which one actually has the record. But it was interesting to watch as they, you know, went towards these mountains and planned their attack, you know, and where they would go. And I mean, these are just death traps. They gave a bunch of statistics about the number of people that attempt to scale these mountains and die in the process because at any given point, I mean, they're just all covered with snow, right? And so at any given point, an avalanche can come or ice can break away or you fall into some rift or so on and so forth. I mean, just incredible. God made these things, and we're still trying to figure out how to get to the tops of them. By his strength, he made the mountains. He is clothed with power. Verse 7 says that he stills the noise of the seas. (laughs) We We have not even tamed the oceans. We can't still the seas. We look back to Jesus as the only man ever to have any power over the waters. With his voice, he calmed the waves, but not just the, the motion of the waves, even their noise. You ever tried to stop the sound of the waves on the beach? You can't do it. God can. He can freeze it all if he wants to. This is his power. And so in verse 8, he concludes, They who dwell in the farthest parts of the earth are afraid of your signs. And this isn't like shaking in fear. This is that sense of awe and reverence. What he's saying is that no matter where you live on earth, you can see there is a powerful God. Whether you have view of the mountains or the ocean or the hills or the growing plants or whatever it is, it's obvious there's one who's more powerful than us. (laughs) And so David brings this praise to God. We see his signs. We see his works. We see his handiwork. And we're in awe of the power of God. The final phrase of verse 8 is extremely poetic. It's beautiful. He says, you make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. 
That's a very literal translation. It means the, the going forths of the morning and the going forths of the evening. Some of your translations probably just conclude it's east and west, which is, I think, what David is referring to, where the sun rises and where the sun sets. I really like the NIV's translation of this verse, which says this, where morning dawns and where evening fades, you call forth songs of praise. The point is, wherever on earth you go, from the east to the west and wherever it is that they meet, God's power can be seen. And He calls forth praise from His creation, which shows that He is the God who is powerful, and with His power, He always does what is right. It's who He is. He's the only one who controls the sea. He's the only one who controls the weather. He's the only one who has formed the mountains. I was thinking about the height of these mountains, and uh, it's like, hmm, I wonder how our human structures compare to these mountains. And the tallest building we've ever built as humans, assuming the Tower of Babel was shorter, I don't know how tall it was, but the tallest building we've built as humans is one-tenth the height of these mighty 14 mountains over 26,000 feet. Real powerful we are. But we look to a God who made the mountains by His strength and by His power, He does what is right. So I encourage you, as you seek to praise the God who answers prayer by His righteous power, See His power in creation and remember that God always does what is right. We don't make the plants grow. We don't cause it to rain. We cannot form the clouds. We did not design even the praying mantis. We cannot number the stars. We can't hold back the ocean. We can't build the mountains. And with His power, He always does what is right. If we look at life and it seems that God has not done what is right, then we are simply wrong. End of story. God is God and He does what is right. As for God, His way is perfect, always. This applies, of course, to His powerful interventions into history. This also applies to those things He allows. All through Scripture and history, God, by His providence, has not held back all of our evil acts, allowing Satan's rebellion, allowing Adam and Eve to sin against him, allowing even the death and destruction resulting from their sin to come into this world, and so that now it is broken, and we experience the overwhelming presence of our sin and the sins of those around us and this broken world. And yet, even in that God always does what is right. He turns that evil for good so that even our evil acts cannot stop His righteous deeds. God made even the murder of His Son into an act of love and mercy and justice. You may be facing the effects of your sin and the sin of a fallen world, but know that God always does what is right. And he's using it for good. This is how he answers prayer. He answers prayer powerfully and with what is right. And this is so encouraging. 
I praise God that he doesn't answer prayer with what I want. I'm not God. I don't know what is best. And I have prayed many times for things that I thought were good. And praise the Lord, he said no or not yet. Because he knows better. And with his power, he always does what is right. And so we hope in him alone and we worship him. We praise him for being a God who does what is right. Not only does God, with his power, do what is right and by his grace provide atonement, but in the final stanza of this psalm, we see that by his goodness, he makes the earth fruitful. By his goodness, he makes the earth fruitful. Verses 9 through 13 talk about the work of God on the earth. Verse 9 says, you visit the earth. And this has to do with the action of God, what he does in the land and how he provides. And so verse 9 speaks of God watering the earth. Notice the metaphors that are used there. You visit the earth and water it. You enrich it. The river of God is full of water, and that water is what provides the grain that grows. You have prepared it. You see, God brings the water. God grows the grain. He is the source of fruitfulness in the earth. Not only that, He cares for the ground. Verse 10 speaks of the earth, the ground, the actual dirt. Notice the phrases that refer to it. He says, you water its ridges, talking about the ridges of the earth. You settle its furrows. As the rain comes down, it reshapes the earth. He says, you make it soft with showers, right? You can think of our hard Iowa clumps that we had in uh, August here. And then finally some rain towards the end of August finally softened everything. This is what God does. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. God is the one who provides the rain. God is the one who softens the ground and makes it fruitful. And as he goes on, there's more. Verse 11 seems to refer to then the harvest that comes. It says, you crown the year with your goodness. So the full cycle of the plants has come and it's just crowned with God's goodness, God's bounty. And so it's by his goodness that he makes the earth fruitful. This next phrase is really beautiful. It says, your paths drip with abundance. The word paths often is used to refer to the the path of a cart that might be carrying the harvested grain or other produce. And so the sense is that God's harvest cart, as it rumbles down the path, is just overflowing with bounty and goodness. It's just dropping off in abundance because God has provided so much. That dripping abundance is there in verse 12 in the wilderness and in the little hills that rejoice on every side. Nowhere on earth is God's abundance and provision not seen. It's global. It's universal. It's everywhere. And in his provision, the the weeds and the plants and the grain and the animals that we may have never even seen as humans in the remotest part of the Amazon or in the middle of the Sahara Desert where that little desert mouse is living or wherever it goes, we might not have even seen it. And yet those creatures, grown by God, sing praise to Him as the one who makes the earth fruitful. 
They cry out and praise Him. And so, verse 13, The pastures are clothed with flocks, the valleys are covered with grain, they shout for joy, they also sing. Now we understand that not every hill has grain growing on it, right? There's not a flock in every, every mountaintop or whatever, but there are animals everywhere and plants everywhere. God has provided. And they speak to His bounty that by His goodness He makes the earth fruitful. I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking about how seeds grow. Maybe you have a garden that you've tried to plant. Some years ago, I tried to plant a garden, and I was alarmed at the, um, the speed at which weed seeds grow. It's the first time I'd ever had a garden of my own, uh, and so I, first of all, it was way too big. And uh, it hadn't, the ground hadn't been gardened for many years, so it had just been a field of weeds, which I really didn't think would be a problem. Uh, and so, you know, got rid of all the weeds, tilled it up, and, uh, and, and made my paths and, and put the seeds down in, watered this thing, and, uh, you know, checked it every day at first. It took a little while. But I still remember the, the first morning I came out to check my garden plot, and there was just this hue of green across all of the dirt, it was like, as if the dirt had turned green. Thought, wow, that's amazing. I was like, well, wait a second. I didn't plant plants everywhere. I mean, I had them in rows, and I had them like spaced apart. Like, why is it green everywhere? And so I began, you know, looking more closely and looking, and there, I mean, there were little sprouts, and If you know how seeds work, most seeds in their initial sprout, it's just two little leaves, right? And so you can't really tell, is this a weed? Is this a good plant? You know, what what is growing here? I don't know whether to pull it or not. And I hadn't marked exactly where my rows were. I thought they would just come up and it'd be great. Nope, it's all weeds. And so I just had to let things grow. And so I had a great harvest of weeds that year. They choked out all my plants, the only thing I got to grow was some sunflowers, so, which are right on the border between plant and weed. I don't know where they land, but anyway. <laughs> Seeds are just fruitful. You put them in the ground and they just grow. I mean, I didn't do anything to cause that to happen, right? The, God brought the water and the soil has the nutrients and the seed just wakes up and starts growing. We were on a walk the other day and walking down a sidewalk, and I looked down, and in the crack of the sidewalk, there was a plant growing there, which we're very familiar with, but I paused to look at this plant a little longer and discovered this was a stalk of corn growing in the crack of a sidewalk. Like, nobody cared for this corn. Somebody probably just had some corn kernels or something, and one dropped right there, and so this thing just sprouted up between the sidewalks. Why? Because God has made these things bountiful. Nobody had planned that or prepared that stalk of corn. But by God's goodness, He makes the earth fruitful. Of course, it's broken by our sin, and yet it remains fruitful. The rains come and the plants grow. God continues to provide rain and growth and harvest. We do not control these things. And such global provision reminds us of God's goodness. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. So, friend, let the flowers remind you of His love and goodness. 
He didn't have to give them color. He didn't have to give them fragrance. Let his provision of produce and food remind you of his goodness. He didn't have to give us multiple colors of bell peppers, right? He didn't have to make food taste good. It could all just taste the same, but it doesn't. Because we have a creative God and the bounty of the earth reminds us of his goodness. And so see it and praise him. The bounty of the earth reminds us of the way that God answers prayer. Not only is he gracious, providing our atonement. Not not only is he powerful, always doing what is right. But he is good. And the fruitfulness of the earth reminds us of his goodness. He provides in bounty. And when we go to Him, we find in Him alone abundant satisfaction. And this leads us then to praise Him. Even the rocks cry out in praise. All creation sings of His goodness. Now, friends, I understand as we study a passage like this, it's one we have to take by faith. It's based on the character of God, not on our feelings about how God answers prayer. It's based on what's true of Him. In fact, because God always does what is right, most of the time He does not give us what we've asked for in prayer. He gives us what is good. He gives us what is right. He gives us what is gracious. This is how He answers prayer, even though it may not be what we want. And as we draw near to Him, as the one who's provided our atonement, it's in Him and His perfect provision that we find satisfaction, not always longing for more, but simply longing for Him and drawing near to what He has given. He's given us Himself. And so we look to Him and we praise Him. And we remember, as the psalm has described that we shall be satisfied with the goodness of His house. Or as Psalm 16 says, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. Or as Psalm 36, 8, we are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give us drink from the river of your pleasures. Friend, look to God for your satisfaction and praise Him. Worship Him as David does in Psalm 65. Whether He's answered your prayers the way you wanted Him to or not, know that He has been gracious, that He has used His power for righteousness, and that He has been good. And so praise Him. One of the things I've encouraged through our time in the Psalms is to pray the words of the Psalms back to God. It's a great way to pray, to have words in our pain, in our difficulty, in our rejoicing, to take the words of Scripture. In fact, it's kind of a fun thought to think that as I pray the words of Scripture, I pray the will of God back to Him. And so I encourage you to think about praying the words of Scripture. In fact, I recently received 50 free copies of a book called Praying the Bible. So it's not quite enough for everybody. Maybe take one per family, but those will be on the tables in the foyer on your way out today. If you don't get a book, don't worry. It's a fairly simple concept. Pray Scripture. But if you'd like a book, it's helpful. Think through how you can do that, what passages might be good, so feel free to grab a copy on your way out today. Pray 
to the Lord. Draw near to Him in praise. Sing to Him with creation. In fact, what an encouragement to sing together today. How great Thou art. To worship Him for His creation and His atonement and His return. Gather for worship. Be thankful in, day in and day out to give thanks without ceasing because this is what our God is like. Let's close our time together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who answers prayer with abundant satisfaction and you are that satisfaction. You have shown us your grace by which you've provided atonement for sins. You have shown us your power by which you answer our prayer always in righteousness. And you have shown us your goodness seen in the bounty of the earth. We praise you. Help us to lift our eyes from our our weak discontentment and to find satisfaction in you because you're gracious and powerful and good. We look to you and we worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.